MSW Media. News was swearing. Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, January 28th, 2021. Today, Biden signs executive orders regarding health care. The GameStop and Reddit short sale explained. Biden pauses Trump's arms sale to Saudi Arabia to assess that sale and the sale to the United Arab Emirates. Pelosi says the enemy is within the House of Representatives. Jim Jordan will not run for Senate. The Pentagon halts Trump appointments to advisory boards. The Capitol Police chief calls for permanent fencing around the Capitol and the balance of power in the Senate for 2022. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is A.G. Uh, we are going to be joined later for the good news by Amy Carrero. And we are I think we have a case for Amy's court. If you have anything you want to send in, good news stories or uh, a dispute you want settled by Amy or confession or correction, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click contact. Uh, we also will be joined by former House counsel for impeachment, the impeachment trial, the first one. That's Daniel Goldberg. And he and I are going to talk about this impeachment trial. And then also join Dana and I on the Stereo app today, Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time for a little live interactive hangout. And uh, I'll also be doing one on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific with Andrew Torres from Opening Arguments, who's also my co-host on the new podcast, Clean Up on Aisle 45, which is out now. You can go and subscribe to that right now. And, uh, of course, I look forward to the weekend <laughs> and getting some rest and uh, doing some self-care stuff. Maybe I'll take a bath. I don't know. But uh, it's been a very long week, and we do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, lead story today is that the acting U.S. Capitol Police chief is calling for permanent fencing around the Capitol because of the gravity of what happened on January 6th when the Capitol was attacked by uh, domestic violent extremists. It also speaks to the realization that the insurrection was just the tip of the iceberg based on violent extremist group beliefs that the big lie uh, is real, that uh, Trump and a lot of Republican leadership has has been continuing to discuss, and that is that the election was stolen. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. And of course, this comes on the heels of the Department of Homeland Security warning that these more attacks could be imminent. And this is also after a man was arrested just blocks away from the White House today with a gun and 20 rounds of ammunition. Uh, He was taken into custody. Now, Nancy Pelosi also made some statements today about the threat coming from inside the House, as I said in the introduction, meaning the House of Representatives. She said today of Marjorie Taylor Greene and the fact that Republicans have seated her on the Education and Labor Committee. She said, quote, you're just going to have to ask them why they thought that that raised itself to the level of something appropriate to do in the Congress of the United States. She went on to say the focus has to be on Republican leadership of this House of Representatives for their disregard and the disregard they have for the deaths of those children. To have someone who would mock those events is just beyond any understanding. And she said assigning her to the Education Committee when she mocked the killing of little children at Sandy Hook Elementary School, when she has mocked the killing of teenagers in high school, what could they be thinking? Or is thinking too generous a word? Now, from CBS... 
to tail onto this, more than 30 members of the House of Representatives have written a letter asking leaders if they can use their congressional allowances to augment their personal security in their home districts by hiring local law enforcement or other security personnel. And that's according to this letter sent to the House leader, Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and CBS News was the first to obtain this letter. The January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol left lawmakers with increasing uneasiness about their personal safety on, in the Capitol, but even more so at home, where they lack the protection afforded by the Capitol Police and where they spend the majority of their time, frankly. Quote, protecting members in their districts is much harder because local law enforcement agencies are stretched and limited and often don't have sufficient staffing or money to provide regular protection to members. Uh, except for leadership, members do not have security details protecting them. The structure of the Capitol Police and the laws against threatening members of Congress were first crafted in a much different time when the threat environment was significantly lower. Now, that's all going uh, on here as Republican Jim Jordan, the Ohio Republican, fierce defender of uh, 45, has announced he will not run for U.S. Senate next year to fill the seat of the retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman. This is according to a spokesperson for his congressional campaign. Jordan will run for re-election for his U.S. House seat. So he is still running for, for the House. He is just not running for Senate. Jordan's decision leaves what is expected to be a very crowded field of Republican candidates for the primary next year without a clear frontrunner. Just some of the possible Republican candidates include J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, and Josh Mandel, who dropped out of the 2018 GOP primary race to challenge Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose is also seriously eyeing a Senate bid, along with at least four other Republican members of Congress. Uh, representatives Steve Stivers, Brad Wenstrup, Mike Turner, and Warren Davidson. While it is early in the race and no one candidate was positioned to consolidate Republican voters, Jordan's high profile as a prominent Trump ally put him among one of the most viable GOP candidates. Had Jordan decided to run, he probably could have cleared the, the field or at least set up an early test of Trump's political standing among Republican voters following the uh, insurrection. Portman announced Monday he would not seek re-election, dealing a blow to Republicans who face a daunting 2022 Senate map uh, amid other key retirements in North Carolina and Pennsylvania. After speaking of Portman from Politico today, Republicans need to flip just one seat next year to win back the Senate majority, but retirements are already complicating their path back to power. Two of the three toughest GOP defensive states on the 2022 Senate map, Pennsylvania and North Carolina, are already open seats, with GOP Senators Pat Toomey and Richard Burr not planning on running again. That leaves Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, good old Russia Ron, as the most vulnerable Republican up for re-election. But Johnson hasn't even decided to run for a third term after previously pledging to serve just two. Uh, and he said Tuesday he's in no hurry to decide. So the effort to retain Republicans who have won races in tough states came into focus on Monday, as we said, when Rob Portman surprised Republicans by announcing he wouldn't seek a third term in Ohio. Republicans will still be favored in the Buckeye state, but will now have to contend with that huge primary field that I had just outlined in the previous story. And there's already concern that more could join him in running to the exits as the Republicans prepare to serve in the minority for the first time since 2013. Next year's Senate map has enough swing states that Republicans could retake the majority, but they could just as easily lose more seats. So senior Republicans hope if anyone else is planning to bow out, they'll announce it soon, like Portman did, and not like former Maine Senator Olympia Snow did in 2012 when she retired just two weeks before the filing deadline. Yet Johnson and other undecided senators who don't seem to be in a rush, uh, like Chuck Grassley, 
who's 87, said to check in with him several months from now to see whether he would run again. And then Roy Blunt from Missouri, the number four GOP leader, said he didn't have a particular timetable on when to make a decision. Missouri is a red state and Republicans would be favored there, though Blunt only narrowly won in 2016. Now, on to some of the stuff that the Biden presidency is doing. Biden just signed an executive action rescinding the global gag rule, which is a policy that bans international organizations to receive U.S. funding from providing abortion services or offering information, even just offering information about abortion. So he's overturned that. He also signed an executive action aimed at getting more Americans signed up for health care by reopening the federal health insurance marketplace during a special enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. A Biden White House official said Thursday morning, consumers will now be allowed to sign up from February 15th to May 15th through healthcare.gov. That's the online federal insurance exchange for people who can't get affordable health benefits through their jobs. This unusual extra sign-up period will be accompanied by a resumption of federal aid for paid advertising, other outreach efforts, and community groups that help people figure out how to sign up. It's like an education and awareness campaign. Trump defunded that during his first two years, slashed most of the funding for such efforts, saying there was no evidence that they were effective. There was a lot of evidence. And from the Times today, the Biden administration is reviewing some weapons sales to Gulf Arab states that were were approved by the Trump administration, including tens of billions of dollars of advanced fighter jets to the UAE and precision munitions to Saudi Arabia. A State State Department official speaking on background said on Wednesday that the administration was temporarily pausing some of the arms sales and transfers, calling the move routine. This is typical of presidential transitions. But it did draw unusual attention because of the arms deals with the Gulf Arab nations approved in the last months of the Trump administration were the subject of intense political debate even before the review. We talked about it multiple times on our show. Some Democrats expressed hope on Wednesday that the sales would be canceled even as the administration downplayed the review. View. Democrats in Congress have strongly opposed the sales out of disgust over the Saudi and Emirati role in Yemen's grueling civil war, which has inflicted vast civilian suffering, but they failed to attract enough Republican support to block the deals in Congress in December. Many Democrats began pressuring President Biden even before his inauguration to halt these sales. And in late December, the State Department approved the sale of $478 million in precision-guided munitions to Saudi Arabia over the strong objection of Democrats, who said the bombs were sure to wind up killing innocent civilians in Yemen in that civil war. And the Trump administration officials called that deal essential to supporting the Saudis in their fight against Iranian-backed Houthis. Officials did not provide full details of the, uh, of the agreements under review, but the Trump-approved sale of billions of dollars of arms to the Saudis. Uh, he approved that. Now, a senior administration official says the review does not include a freeze on sales under the Emirati deal. A congressional official familiar with the review said the Saudi arms shipment will be paused during the review. And from Politico, the Pentagon has suspended the processing of a number of Trump's last-minute appointees to defense advisory boards. And this is as the new administration looks to weed out loyalists of the former president. The move effectively prevents a number of Trump allies, including his 2016 campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, and deputy campaign manager David Bossie from actually serving on panels tasked with providing advice to the defense secretary. And this is at least for the time being, according to Politico. The freeze announced Wednesday pertains only to appointees who have not yet been sworn in or have completed all the required paperwork. Several new board members, including Earl Matthews and Anthony Tata, were sworn in on January 19th after pressure from the White House to push through as many appointees as possible before Biden's inauguration. But others, like Lewandowski and Bossie, were still undergoing lengthy financial disclosures and security clearance processes that normally take weeks or months. Ha ha. Finally, from the Associated Press, 
it is not just you. What's going on with GameStop's stock doesn't make sense to a lot of people. The struggling video game retailer stock has been making stupefying moves this month, wild enough to raise concerns from professional investors on Wall Street and to the Securities and Exchange Commission and the White House. The frenzy hit new heights Thursday when several trading platforms limited their customers from making certain trades with GameStop. It's all forcing uh, hard questions about whether the stock market is a dangerous bubble right now and whether a new generation of traders should be allowed to take full advantage of all the tools and free trades available on their phones, regardless of how reckless they may seem to outsiders. At the same time, champions of the 99% are cheering louder from the sidelines, saying this move means that hedge funds, Wall Street, and the 1% are finally getting their comeuppance. After sitting around 18 bucks three Fridays ago, GameStop stock doubled in four days, kept shooting higher before nearly doubling on Tuesday and then doubling again on Wednesday to $347.51 a share. On Thursday, it gave back a chunk of those gains and finished the day at 193. That's down about 44%, but still up an amazing 928% through the first weeks of 2021. So how was Reddit involved? Well, there's a group called Wall Street Bets. Their discussions are full of ideas for the next big trade to jump on, self-deprecation and appreciation of both winning and losing bets, as long as they're bold. They've recently been encouraging each other to keep buying GameStop, push it, push it higher, push it higher, to the moon, it says, quote unquote, to the moon. But that alone, Reddit alone, is not what pushed the stock up. A big reason for that is how deeply hated GameStop stock was by hedge funds and other professional investors on Wall Street. Many were betting on GameStop's stock to fall by shorting it. Now, a short is how investors can make money off a stock falling. In a short sale, they borrow a share of GameStop, and then they sell it. And later, uh, as the stock price does what they expect, they buy it back at a lower price and keep the difference. That's a short sale. GameStop is one of the most heavily shorted stocks on Wall Street. So a short squeeze is what happened with GameStop, GameStop's stock. When the stock was is very heavily shorted, a rise in the price will force short sellers to get out of their bets, and they have to pay money to get out of it. So they have to buy back the stock at higher prices, which pushes the stock even higher and can create this feedback loop, right? So as GameStop short sellers have gotten squeezed this month, smaller first-time investors who have been egging each other on to keep the momentum going keep, you know, keep trying to drive this price up too. So this appears to be about inflicting pain on short sellers, hedge funds, other big financial firms, Wall Street. Uh, many talk about it in terms of uh, e evening the ledger with the financial elite who benefited from years of gains as other people fell further behind. Buying GameStop, quote, isn't about greed, one user uh, wrote on Reddit after calling all the, uh, citing all of the recessions that Wall Street caused and the times that they got bailed out with taxpayer dollars. He says, quote, it's about taking back what's ours, what we've already paid for. Quote, this is, uh, someone else said, this is for making us work on Thanksgiving night all the way through Black Friday at $9.50 an hour. Now, critics used to dismiss the moonshots for GameStop and others as a sideshow, um, and they say the, ex the excess was confined to a few corners of the market, but Wednesday's broader market tumble gives some caution here. Sharp losses for short sellers may have pushed them to sell some of their other stock and holdings to raise cash, and several investors say that is what contributed to Wednesday's 2.6% slide for the S&P 500. It was the worst day for the market since October. The Securities and Exchange Commission has said it's noticed all the volatility in the market and is taking a closer look. It's their job to protect investors. And the uh, expectation across Wall Street is that investors holding GameStop at these lofty prices are likely to be hurt 
when the price falls, which it will. Because what sets this case apart is all of the communicating going on between investors on Reddit as they goad each other to push GameStop higher. Um, it's He said it's difficult to declare that it, there's a clear case of market manipulation here. But, you know, that's because of all of that communication. It's, it's, it's hard to pin down to, like one specific thing. But in the end, there there may be no way to prevent people from pushing a stock too high and potentially burning themselves. Instead, uh, it may be better to first properly educate uh, novice investors about the risk of bubbles and overzealous trading. Quote, a lot of people now feel like they're empowered and they don't have to go through the traditional players um, of Wall Street. And that's a guy named Spat, who is a professor at Carnegie Mellon's University Tepper School of Business. Uh, he says, in fairness, they didn't do that great going through the t- traditional players, to be fair. So that's what's going on there. And, you know, a lot of folks are, are cheering from the sidelines, you know, uh, and, and now they're being sort of restricted and limited on, on what they're able to buy and sell now um, through these trade apps like Robinhood. Uh, it, but it does have a negative impact on the rest of the market. So... We'll have more on this, uh, and if you have any questions or if you have any comments or anything you want to add to this particular story, send them to us. Uh, let us know at uh, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Just put in the subject line um, just a, a general uh, question about GameStop, and, and we'll take a look at it because, you know, I've seen trading places a million times, uh, and this is kind of what happened there in reverse. Um, but, you know, I'm personally feeling a little bit like, you know, the rich people, wealthy people have been using loopholes and market manipulation forever. And now now that it's being done by a group of Redditors, who I also don't particularly like very much, uh, it's a problem and they're being restricted. So it's just a, a really interesting conversation. There's a lot of things that are in place to prevent these things from happening and to protect investments. You know, many of us have 401ks that have, uh, you know, mutual funds with different stocks uh, to to diversify portfolios. And if anything had to be, you know, if anything fell because of these investors had to sell off other things to raise cash to pay off this short squeeze, it could, in, it could affect regular investors, people with 401ks, etc. So anyway, we'll be right back with House Impeachment Counsel for the first Trump impeachment, Daniel Goldberg. We're going to discuss the second impeachment trial. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Daily Beans, this is AG. Today's episode is brought to you by American Giant. You've heard of the term, think globally, act locally. Well, back in the 60s, 95% of our clothing was made here in the USA, and only 3% is today. Shopping locally was just the norm back then. Now most of the stuff we buy is made overseas. Uh, But that can be a problem because it's made poorly. It can be disposable. It'll end up in landfills. It's not sustainable. And that's why uh, American Giant is so great. They want to make things better by making better things. Uh, They have a 100% USA-based supply chain. They have strong relationships with factories, workers, and communities at every step here in the United States. And again, it's not the cheapest, but it makes for a better sweatshirt that lasts longer so it doesn't end up in that landfill. And their clothes are made to be worn and longer and kept longer. They're built to last. I recently got their women's blizzard full zip. It has a weatherproof nylon shell, and it was so warm. It's been so cold here. And I I stayed warm and snugly. It cut the wind. It was wonderful. So all you need is some mittens. You're in the next Bernie Sanders. And best of all, that coat was made here in the United States, supporting local communities. So check out American Giant and get the best, most high-quality clothes on the market. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am honored to be joined today by former federal prosecutor and the lead counsel for the House impeachment inquiry in the first impeachment of Donald Trump, Daniel Goldman. Daniel, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today because I've, uh, we've got some a lot of questions and a lot of concerns from from listeners uh, about some of the mechanics and, and things going into this impeachment trial and, and some of the other stuff that's been happening. But I first want to open up and talk about what the defense seems like it's going to be like from from the, the Trump side, because, you know, we know that there was a vote in the Senate on whether or not th- this trial was even constitutional because Trump is a former officer, a former president. And there were actually 45 Republicans that voted to say that it wasn't, uh, which it's kind of sort of well known and well accepted, accepted, and there is precedent that it is. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you think the defense on that side is uh, going to be besides this whole issue uh, with whether impeachment's actually constitutional for former presidents. Well, I, ultimately, I think that the reason why so many uh, voted on Tuesday of uh, the Republicans voted to say that it's unconstitutional and that they did it in the way that they did two weeks before the trial was actually set to begin is because they want to avoid having to vote on the ultimate issue of whether or not Donald Trump abused his power, violated his oath by inciting this insurrection. And the reason they want to avoid it is for, it's quite obvious, which is they're in a bit of a pickle because Donald Trump still wields a lot of power within the Republican Party. Yet, I think objectively, and if you questioned a lot of these uh, Republican senators, uh, you know, under a secret ballot, per let's say, I think they would say that it was completely inappropriate, improper, unconstitutional, and impeachable. But they don't want to have to be put in a situation where they're either condoning the activity uh, that Trump did in order to save their own political hide, or voting against Donald Trump. So that's why this per- the focus on procedure is <clears throat> so prominent. That's why they did it on Tuesday to spend two weeks trying to talk about it and tamp down expectations and potentially even avoid the trial altogether, which I don't think is going to happen. But that's the type of defense I expect to see from the president himself and his champions in the Senate. It's going to be one based on process. It's not going to be one based on his conduct. And it's going to be one that focuses on the fact that uh, there is no sworn testimony of witnesses. So how could you possibly convict someone without any testimony under oath? The process is a, is a sham. It's a farce. This is not the, uh, such a serious matter should not be decided based on tweets and, and speeches or videos of, you know, from parlor, et cetera. And then I think the other defense that that you'll get, um, which goes a little bit more toward the substance, is kind of what you would think of in criminal trials and criminal prosecutions as the beyond a reasonable doubt defense or the reasonable doubt defense, which is to say that if you're really going to convict Donald Trump of inciting an insurrection, you need to show that he had some knowledge of the forthcoming insurrection when he whipped the crowd into a frenzy. 
And <clears throat> there's nothing public right now that, uh, at least that I've seen, that indicates that Trump was aware of the plans uh, to storm the Capitol. Um, but I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that would lead one to believe that he was certainly aware of what he was doing, that he was trying to do it, that the people who stormed the Capitol interpreted his statements to be inciting them to storm the Capitol. And then after it happened, he didn't do anything to stop it, which goes to his state of mind. Yeah. And I think some of the evidence of like the videos of incitement in real time that that have been coming out, like from the New Yorker and et cetera, when the people in the crowd are like, yeah, let's go fight. Yeah, we got to storm the Capitol as Trump is, is, you know, speaking to the crowd. And then, like you said, what he did or did not do uh, while the uh, insurrection was happening and after it happened, I think is very telling to his intent and state of mind, or at least, you know, someone said he appeared to be gleeful while watching it uh, on on television. And I think that but without without witnesses and just public reporting, you're going to get pushback from the Republicans saying that it's the liberal media that reported that or, you know, it's we don't really have anything solid on that. And I'm wondering if you think that I thought that Chuck Schumer, when he agreed to delay the trial till February 8th, the start of the trial to February 8th, uh, which I think it's February 9th now. Um, I thought maybe he was trying to leave more time for something like that to come to light. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that <clears throat> it cuts both ways, the delay. Um, at the end of the day, I, I think there were a couple of compelling factors for Senator Schumer. Uh, one was that... Trump did not get any opportunity to be heard in the House. And that that is not required, um, but it is traditionally how how it has gone and how it has been done. And because it, the, the House moved so quickly because of the urgency pre- precipitated by his own actions, um, there was really only a vote. There was no real discussion about it. Uh, there were no witnesses. There was nothing. It was the article and then the debate and a vote. So there is an element of due process that is required in a Senate trial. And I think Senator Schumer likely realized that if, in order to do it, you have to give the, the president an opportunity to have a fair trial to be heard. They're, they need to submit their written briefs. That's I mean, they don't need to. It's not required, but it has been done in every impeachment trial. So there was that aspect of it. And then the second aspect is that there was a lot of pressure to confirm the Biden nominees, to move on COVID relief, and there are competing interests. And, you know, as much as the Senator Schumer and the other Democrats are correct, that the Senate can walk and chew gum at the same time, you know, my experience in Washington is there's so much, only so much oxygen to go around. And this impeachment trial will suck up a lot of it. It'll suck up a lot of time. It'll suck up a lot of energy. And it's, it is hard to do two um, very intensive and comprehensive things at the same time. So I, I think that, frankly, the, the, the reason for the delay is probably those two things. The collateral consequence, I think, is cuts both ways. One is 
as you say, there could be more drip, 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 um, perhaps about the actual January 6th events. But I think more likely in the vein of what has come out about the efforts um, at DOJ for the the acting chief of the civil division to do an end run around the acting attorney general and collude with Trump to try to overturn the election. I think what will come out is we will see more and more of the sort of things such as Trump's call with Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia secretary of state, other egregious actions by the president to overturn this election. Uh, there's no question in my mind as you know, a longtime prosecutor, that we don't we don't know everything. We don't know everything that he tried. He was almost exclusively focused on overturning the election from the from even before the election when he saw the writing on the wall all the way up through uh, January sixth and the certification of the electoral college. And I am certain <clears throat> there's a lot more that we don't know. That is egregious. I, I think that very well may come out. On the flip side, though, as you move farther and farther away from the actual event, the emotions ebb a little bit. Uh, they are tempered a little. It feels, particularly in this crazy news cycle that we have developed in the in the Trump world, it just feels like it's a little bit further removed. The political calculus rather than the emotional or moral or patriotic calculus becomes more prominent. And so I, I think to, that, it, you know, people have said this and you've seen Kevin McCarthy walk back some of his statements. Uh, um, at, if the trial were January 7th, he would have been convicted. I mean, uh, the the Republican senators and House members were victims of this insurrection, just like the Democrats were. And their emotions were high, and they were scared, and this was very fresh. The further it gets away, the less fresh it is, the more time they have to consider all sorts of ulterior uh, issues. And so therefore, I think their their emotional motivation to do what they think is right may be compromised to some extent, or at least limited by their political calculation. Yeah. And I do want to point out that it was Mitch McConnell who delayed the beginning of even considering impeachment in the Senate until January 19th. Um, and then, of course, voted to say it was unconstitutional <laughs> to, to impeach a former president. Very shrewd, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. McConnell. Uh, now, you had brought something up about, you know, talking about things that can come out. You, you, you thought maybe we would see more evidence about his efforts to overthrow the election, as in with Raffensperger or what happened with the uh, acting attorney general. Uh, and the, the the potential Saturday night massacre we almost faced when everyone was going to resign en masse. But also things that could come out or, or any kind of interesting, and we've seen little sort of drips of this too, is the lack of response uh, by the National Guard and if that was coordinated at any kind of high level. And I'm interested to see what sort of uh, things come out about that between now and then too. But you're right, that the, the political will ebbs as time goes on. Um, and I think that both parties in this case would like to see this done more rapidly than not. And I, I have some questions for you along those lines and, and about calling witnesses and how that could throw a wrench into that. If we, But I need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Wonderful. We'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the Daily Beans podcast is brought to you by Plush Care. With everything we're going through right now with the pandemic, it reminds us that our health is one of the most important things of all. And despite everything that's going on, it's still crucial to be able to see a doctor when you're not feeling well. That's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. Scheduling an appointment for the same day, even, is super easy. I just pick a slot that works, click, click, and I'm booked online. So I don't waste time on hold, and I don't waste time or, you know, endanger myself by sitting in crowded waiting rooms. With Plush Care and my membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and even have prescriptions sent to my local pharmacy if needed. And that can happen all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. Plus, Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed about what's going on, Plush Care doctors are here to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been super easy. It's very user-friendly. It only takes a minute to sign up, and it's just as easy to schedule an appointment. The entire process has been convenient, super convenient. I was immediately comfortable, too, and felt great about my doctor because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 schools in the country, and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I have peace of mind that not only am I getting fast access to care, but I'm getting the highest quality health care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when when I need it. And with Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor and neither should you. No more excuses. So make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Plushcare.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with former federal prosecutor Daniel Goldman about this uh, second impeachment, historic impeachment of uh, now former President Trump. And uh, right before the break, we were talking about sort of political will and a little bit of a delay and why they, you know, why they might have delayed this and what sort of evidence we'll see coming out in, in the meantime. But I wanted to ask you about some of the uh, mechanics of this now, because we've got uh, Senator Leahy in charge, which is uh, different from the first impeachment. As you know, we had uh, Chief Justice John Roberts as the presiding officer there. I'm wondering what sort of difference that will make, particularly in in the area of wanting to call witnesses, but I feel like neither side wants to do that. Well, as to your first question, I actually don't think it will make a big difference. Um, I, I, one, was a little bit surprised uh, as the trial played out last year, um, what little role Chief Justice Roberts actually played. This is, everyone thinks of the word trial as what they might see on Law and Order, or what they've had if they served on jury duty. And you have a judge uh, who makes rulings and um, who you have advocates as the lawyers, but you know the judge is the one who determines the law, determines whether evidence comes in and all this, and, and you know, to the extent to which there's relevance, all, all these you know, rulings that a judge um, issues that are part of a trial. That is not how an impeachment trial works. The Senate itself makes all the rules. The Senate, uh, by by vote, determines whether they're witnesses, determines how long the trial is, determines how long each side has to present, um, votes on motions to dismiss or otherwise. And so because the Senate itself is the one who's making all those decisions, there are very little for the presiding officer to do. Even though we're at 50-50 right now, because I was wondering about I was wondering about that. I mean, I personally don't think that they would want to, 
you know, maybe use their subpoena power, call witnesses, it would just elongate the trial. But if let's say they, they wanted to do something like that, and they got a 50-50 vote, I'm not sure who the tiebreaker is in impeachment, if it's um, Kamala Harris, if it's the vice president, or if it's, if it's the presiding officer. There is no tiebreaker. And um, well, there doesn't necessarily have to be a tiebreaker. And this actually came up because um, there was the prognosis of a 50-50 vote on, on one of the issues at the last trial. And um, I think it related to witnesses. Um, and Chief Justice Roberts explained that he had reviewed with the Senate parliamentarian the precedent and that there was some precedent for the chief justice to uh, make a ruling um, and be the deciding vote, but that there was also precedent um, that was contrary to that. And he felt like it was more persuasive for him not to be involved. And so he made it clear that he would not be cast the deciding vote. Now he could have, and so that's a little bit of a different scenario. Uh, when you have someone, Patrick Leahy, presiding over it. But uh, he chose not to. And so he actually did not make a single decision, as I recall, uh, related to the trial. I mean, he he sort of chastised both sides at one point and asked for decorum. But, you know, in terms of any substantive decisions, there were none. Um, I'm sure that a 50-50 vote with you know, a Democratic president pro tem presiding over the officer, Senator Leahy would not be casting both his own vote and the deciding vote. So a 50-50 vote means that whatever the motion is will not pass. You need 51. So you will have to get 51-49. But it does mean that to the extent that as, and, you know, when I was staffing the House managers, you know, we were hopeful at some point that the Chief Justice would actually uh, rule on some witnesses um, and that maybe he would decide to favor witnesses because that seemed to be the you know more logical or at least that was our position we should have John Bolton as a witness right um, but and so it was possible that he did it here it won't be possible because you would never have a scenario where one party's representative as president pro tem in a 50-50 Senate would cast that deciding vote. So I don't think that will happen, but I don't think it'll make a difference that Senator Leahy is presiding over the trial one bit. As for witnesses, um, you know, as as much as it pains me as a prosecutor, investigator who always wants more information, who always wants facts, who always wants truth, um, I don't think we're going to see any witnesses. And the reason is what you just said, that both both parties want this to move quickly. The, you know, someone said uh, uh, the other day that, you know, this trial is going to be a root canal for the Republicans. This is not helpful to them in any way, shape or form. It associates them with Donald Trump. It associates them with the party of insurrection, the party of trying to overthrow the election. Um, there's nothing good that comes out of it for the Republicans. And for the Democrats, you know, the bottom line is Donald Trump is gone and Joe Biden is president. And there's a lot that Joe Biden wants to do. The Democrats control the House and the Senate. They may not control the House and the Senate after 2022. There's a short shelf life where particularly at the beginning of an administration where the president has a lot of 
uh, a mandate, a lot of power, a lot of, um, you know, authority and to get things done. And if you have witnesses, it opens up a can of worms and it is very hard to see where you stop. And particularly, unlike in the last impeachment trial, where we sort of knew the specific witnesses that we wanted, what they might add, we had developed the facts through other witnesses. So, you know, we wanted John Bolton, we wanted Mick Mulvaney. Um, There were a few people that we specifically wanted, and we would have been perfectly happy having one or two witnesses because they could have really put the kind of cherry on top of our case. Here, we're opening up a Pandora's box. I mean, do you have Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, come in and testify? Um, What does he then say, as you point out, about the National Guard? Well, you know, Mr. Meadows, uh, were there discussions with the Secretary of Defense about bringing in the National Guard? I didn't have any, but I believe the president did. So I don't know what they were. Well, then you have to call the secretary of defense as a witness to see what the president knew about it. So you could just imagine hypothetically a scenario where you need more and more and more witnesses and it really will prolong the trial. And so there's no natural endpoint to where you'd, okay, we could have two witnesses. It's very arbitrary. It may not be worth anything, and you know it's it's probably going to be unsatisfying. So, I think the the easier solution is to have no witnesses. But as a number of senators have said, you don't need as many witnesses in this case as you would as you did in the Ukraine case, because so much of this was right out in the open and public. It happened at the Capitol, the critical event. You've got plenty of video and tweets of statements. There's a lot that's out there in the public domain that can be marshaled to make a case. Yeah. And and this isn't really the only shot to understand everything that happened at the insurrection. I'm assuming that there'll be some sort of investigations in, in the House and uh, in committees, or there might even be a commission put together like we had a 9-11 commission. Uh, it, Merrick Garland could appoint a special counsel to get to the bottom of everything. I don't think that this is our only shot to find out everything that happened and get to the bottom of and interview people um, as, far as, as far as this particular event goes. I agree with that entirely. And in fact, whatever occurs in this impeachment trial, you know, will not get to the bottom of everything. That's just impossible. That requires a tremendous amount of time um, that, you know, senators all sitting in one room, per, you know, a day after day would would never devote all of their time to doing. And so we'll, we wouldn't be able to get it this route. One, one final question for you. A lot of uh, people that I, I speak to and a lot of listeners um, have asked Impeachment doesn't appear to be a functioning part of the Constitution anymore. Um, If you can't impeach the president we just had, people are sort of asking, what is the point of impeachment? It doesn't seem to be working. We're in too much of a politically divided time that I don't think that the founders could have foreseen. What what is if we can't do that? What's the remedy? I mean, what is the remedy? (laughs) Because they're not I don't think they're going to vote to convict. I don't think we're going to get 17 Republicans on board to vote to convict, even if maybe maybe if we had that secret ballot that you you mentioned. But um, just sort of wondering if there's a and and like 
there's really nothing you can do about it less short of amending the Constitution, which also we don't have the votes to do. So I'm, I'm just I think everyone's just sort of wondering, like, how in the future when this happens again, how are we going to get rid of them? Right. Well, I, I, to me, that is the most important reason to have this trial. Um, sure, you can disqualify Donald Trump from holding office again, um, which is appropriate, I think, given that he tried to overthrow an election. Um, and which is as as anti-democratic as you could almost imagine any action to be. But it is really precedent setting that you want to be able to pursue this trial for, for that reason. And, and because you want to lay down a marker, right, and say, if someone in the future were to do this, they would be impeached and convicted because that's what happened all the time. Don't think, though, that even if that doesn't happen, it's as disillusioning as you say. At the end of the day, Donald Trump lost the election and was unable to steal it back. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. The political cost of, to what he did uh, during his entire term, but certainly at the end of it, was significant. And you know, I, I don't think people should be so disillusioned because I think people should just become more engaged. That if people are part of the political process, there's a tremendous political cost to anti-democratic, authoritarian, uh, un-American actions that Donald Trump seemed to exhibit every day. Where it, the only way that it works for someone to do this is if there's complacency within the populace. If every single American were to vote and were to express their views of whatever it is that Donald Trump stands for, there won't be another Donald Trump again because it's so anti-American. So yes, maybe he will not be uh, convicted here. And by the way, I, I think if, if somehow he had done everything and he was successful and he was sitting in the Oval Office right now, I think the vote would be very different. And I think he would be removed. And so, we do have to remember that he's out of office. So, and part of the objection that I think a lot of the Republicans have is, you know, what are we doing? The guy's already gone. Why are we doing this? There are very good arguments on the other side that we should still do this. And I firmly believe that we should, but it's not urgent in the same way as if he were sitting in the Oval Office today. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree 100%. Um, it's the complacency that they're after. Uh, I feel like it's by design they want to wear you down so that you you stop caring and, and don't engage because that's really, um, in my opinion, the only way Republicans can win. <laughs> but that's just a, a very political view of mine. But I want to thank you for, for speaking to us today, and um, I hope uh, we can have you back on soon. It was great to be with you. Thanks so much former federal prosecutor and lead counsel for House impeachment the first time. Daniel Goldman, I appreciate your time. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back uh, with the good news. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Stamps.com. Everyone dreams of what they would do if they had extra time and money. Well, let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time and money. That's why I recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer at home. You can send letters, ship packages, and you pay a lot less with discounted rates from the Postal Service and UPS and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com, you can get services of a post office and UPS all in one place 
device from your home. Plus, you get big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. I love their service. Using Stamps.com has been such a smooth and efficient experience. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. Saves you time and money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time, go into the post office, and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with my promo code, Daily Beans, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and they'll give you a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts are required. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Daily Beans. That's Stamps.com, promo code Daily Beans. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And it's Friday, so that means Amy Carrero is here. Hey, Amy, how are you? How was your week? Hi. It was good. It's freezing in L.A., which I know everyone else in the country is like, <laughs> no, I roll. Um, but we just talked to my in-laws, and they're like, it's ne- it's too below. And they're in Des Moines, and I'm just like, it's 50 degrees. I'm so cold. But <laughs> other than that, I got to say, it's not so bad. <laughs> I know. I was watching um, L.A. Story last night. It's one of my favorite Steve Martin movies. Yes. And he's, he plays this like funny sort of weatherman kind of because like how hilarious is, is it to have a weatherman in Los Angeles? Yeah, for and he's sure. like, we're out talking in the streets with people about how they dealt with that surprise low of 58 degrees last <laughs> night, sir. How did you cope? And he's like, well, we... Uh, had the cats out till around 10 and it got too cold for them so they came inside yes i'm actually wearing a puffer vest right now i'm considering removing it because i don't want it to ruin the sound but i'm also freezing i i read somewhere on twitter that like 20 degrees or that 50 degrees in la is colder than 20 degrees in new york and it's so true yeah We are kind of wimps about it, though. It it didn't take long for me to acclimate out here either uh, because I'm from Cleveland, like on the lake where it is freezing. But now it gets below 60 and I'm all, "Mm, should I go for that run today? I don't know, man. Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) Well, everyone's rolling their eyes at us, but (laughs) what are you going to do? Well, we've got some great submissions today. I think we have a case for you, too, on the docket of Amy's court. So I'm going to kick us off with a correction from Miles, pronouns he and him. Hey, AG, DG, and Amy, I'm a resident physician in otolaryngology. Yeah, I'm glad you took this one because I would not have known how to pronounce that. (laughs) Otolaryngology. I wanted to reach out about some comments made in your recent show on January 27th where you noted that our private healthcare system incentivizes keeping people sick. I don't disagree that our system creates a perverse incentive to engage in problematic behavior. Wildly unethical practices such as unnecessary surgeries occur, albeit rarely. And a cursory search for healthcare insurance fraud shows many hospitals and practices that have taken advantage of our broken reimbursement system. Moreover, our system has also devoted little attention, time, or money to mitigation 
of pervasive issues such as poor health care access and quality in underserved communities or implicit biases, which are particularly uh, affecting the care of ethnic minorities, non-English speakers, deaf and hard of hearing, and LGBTQ plus communities. More pertinent to your comments, our system poorly reimburses preventive care, which is a major contributor to our high health care utilization. However, I think we need to take care with the language such as this when global pandemic has been politicized and flat out lies have been used to paint frontline healthcare workers as members of a vast conspiracy to inflate the impact of the pandemic. Although there are many reasons to distrust our healthcare system, it's important to distinguish between problems inherent to the system and problems with healthcare providers. Uh, though our system does not incentivize or empower us to dedicate enough time and energy to high-quality preventive care, it also does not incentivize us to keep people sick. The nurses, physicians, and staff I work with are uh, all motivated, intelligent people who would be successful in other pursuits but chose patient care because helping people become healthier is immensely fulfilling, even in a hopelessly broken system. Thank you for everything you do and the care with which you discuss complex issues, which is the main reason I enjoy my mm-hmm. daily beans and clean up on aisle 45. I want to be clear, I don't believe your words were intended to denigrate great healthcare workers. I just believe particular attention should be paid to not fomenting distrust in our frontline workers as we continue to fight the pandemic. Please see attached for our pet tax. Walter is our one-year-old golden doodle. <laughs> he is the only dog I can snuggle with without having a sneezing fit, Aww. which he and I both enjoy. <laughs> he is an odd duck who loves veggies, Aww. being carried around like a baby, and having his feet grabbed, which he considers a very fun oh, game. Oh, <laughs> cutie patootie! Miles, before I before I look at the picture, before I look at the picture, Miles, I 100% agree with you. I was, I was sort of hoping that everyone sort of understood when I said that the 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 dissertation that kind of comes with that sort of comment that we just simply didn't have time to cover that day. Uh, I spent 10 plus years in healthcare. I love my healthcare frontline workers. I absolutely 100% am behind them. I I'm talking about the the machinations at the top and the lobbyists and the you know the CEOs of private healthcare companies, bottom lines, etc. Not, not the providers down on the front lines. But you're very right. We have to be very careful with our language because we don't want to foment that distrust in our healthcare system. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. Now I'm going to look at this golden doodle. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's so oh. cute. Can't get enough. And also a dog that doesn't mind you grabbing his hind legs is really yeah. a keeper i have to say i want to grab his feet if he likes it if it's a game so cute Aww. i love that what a honey and thank you for sending that in i have to say that is that is a, a wonderful example of the sandwich method friends which is saying something positive then making a suggestion and then ending it on a positive note i love that mm-hmm. yeah oh absolutely wonderful and very Love it. Car- caring and thank you and thank and that's a good point too because i you know i think it's it's important to to differentiate the between the system you know the man in in ca- capitalized um and the people who provide the services and oftentimes they they just they feel just as demoralized by the system you know as much as we do so thank you for that okay yeah. next up we have barbara uh didn't include pronouns You didn't screw up, but this is an amplification of something I think has been underreported. It came up very briefly at the end of your excellent interview with Olivia Troy. I must have missed your earlier coverage of this. Regarding Debbie Burks, I didn't have a strong opinion one way or another about her until recently. The thing that recently changed my opinion about Burks was Lawrence Wright's The Plague Year, in quotations, that appeared in the New York Times January 4th and 11th, 2021 issue. 
in this article. Oh, New Yorker. Sorry, the, the New, New Yorker. Yorker. Yeah. Did I say New York Times? Jesus. Yeah, the New Yorker magazine. Um, and then uh, Barbara includes a link. Maybe, I don't know what we do with that. Maybe we put it in the newsletter. Okay. Yeah, we'll put it in the newsletter. Awesome. In this article, I first learned about Burks's road trip uh, to influence COVID response around the country. Here's an excerpt. Oh, I thought I thought it was the Thanksgiving trip she took. Okay. When Burks was working in Africa, she and her chief epidemiologist, Uram Zaidi, had met the pre- with presidents and village elders across the continent learning the value of personal diplomacy. The two scientists decided to take an American road trip together. The contagion had moved from uh, the coast to the heartland. In June, when the virus suddenly gripped Texas, Burks and Zaidi traveled to Dallas to meet with Governor Governor Greg Abbott. Abbott's dithering response to the pandemic had led to an attack by Democrats who noted that the death rate soared when he lifted restrictions too soon and by Republicans who called him a tyrant for imposing any restrictions at all. Uh, At a press conference, Burke... Burks urged Texans to mask up, especially young people. If they're interacting with parents and grandparents, they should wear a mask, she said. No one wants to pass the virus to others. She praised Abbott for closing bars, knowing that he had been pressured to fully open the economy. Abbott soon issued issued a mask mandate. The article goes on to describe multiple similar events. I think the sexist-in-chief, formerly at the White House, originated the negative campaign against her, though it was taken up by all his government and media enablers. Sexist men always have a problem with smart, take-charge women. Ask me how I know. One last thing. (laughs) Um, I know it's not equivalent, but we women should not have participated in the seemingly harmless ridicule of Burks's scarf wearing. We need to stand together and as a person's and a person's appearance should be off limits. As a pet tax, I am providing my dog Henry's mugshot <laughs> taken right before he was put under for his last teeth cleaning. He's a smart, loving, pointlessly aggressive terrier mix who will never learn to leave bigger dogs alone. <laughs> Look at this baby. Very cute dog. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all very good points, Barbara. Good point. And here's the thing too, uh, and I, maybe this is kind of a non sequitur, but I don't think so. When I've been, when I've seen like Nikki Haley go out, you know, or uh, Sarah Sanders, um, you know, these Trumpian, Trump era women who are now trying to find their second act or whatever, I think to myself, I don't know how successful they'll be because one thing that doesn't matter as far as like discrimination against women goes it's like it doesn't matter if you're a democrat or republican very rarely do women at all survive any kind of controversy like this so i'm interested to, i i'm just interested to see how it's going to play out for the other side um because i think a lot of the men will fail upward but what's going to happen with the women and i think maybe dr burks is kind of a part of that you know phenomenon yeah olivia troy said that there were a lot of hit pieces fed to like maggie haberman in the new york times mm-hmm. and, and there was a big negative press campaign going on uh, around about her so um but all all very well taken points thank you barbara for writing in i appreciate that um next up here's your case amy judge amy Ooh. this is a Snorosaurus v. Light Sleeper. Judge Amy, (laughs) can you settle a disagreement I have with my wife? Mm -hmm. It is up to the snorer to fix their snoring. Or is it up to the non-snorer to wear earplugs? Does someone have to leave the bed? Waking up the snorer leaves two people awake and feels like no one wins. Do we race to see who falls asleep first? Not saying which of us is which. (laughs) 
but we need to come to an understanding so we can get a good night's sleep, preferably in the same bed. Thank you for your wisdom. Oh, man. I, I, You know, if this was a real court of law, I'd have to recuse myself because as someone who is married to a snorer and also a sleepwalker, I am so on the side of the person who has to deal with the snoring slash sleep, sleepwalking. Um, yeah, man, it, it really sucks. Uh, it sucks to be the person because you know what? Then Tim wakes up the next day and he's totally rested. Even if I like give him a few shoves at night, he goes right back to sleep. He's like, huh? Yeah. And I'm like, turn around, sleep on your side. And he'll be like, okay. And he will. And then he'll get a perfect night's sleep and I won't. So... I think the onus falls on the snorer to fix their snoring and I don't know what you're going to do about it but one thing that has helped my marriage is making sure that the snorer falls asleep on his side because when he's on his back the snoring gets worse. So I don't know if that's something that's helpful. Um, As far as earplugs I don't think they work that well I've tried them I don't think there are earplugs strong enough in the world Mm -hmm. also you might want to check to see if the snoring is a part of a larger problem like sleep apnea or something because that might be a health issue you want to check out Mm -hmm. so yeah sorry to the snorer but you got to clean up your shit yeah now I would have to recuse myself too because of the divorce I just went through I'm never (laughs) living with another human person as long as I live uh, and, and if I do find some uh, majestic love of my life, I'm having my own room. Yes. So it won't ever be an issue. Right. Uh, but I did get something uh, when we went on tour um, because we would not because either of the co-hosts or anything are snorers, but because it's you know, just hotel rooms are loud. Right. And and this is not a sponsor. They do not sponsor us. But Bose makes something called Sleep Buds. Ooh. And they're very tiny and you put them in at night and they you can't feel them at all. And then you ha- open up an app on your phone and you play little noise-canceling soundscapes. Wait, what? This is a game changer. And you can't hear anything. You cannot hear anything when uh, when this happens. The only thing you hear is your alarm when you wake up because it it melds with your phone's alarm oh so that it slowly plays an alarm when it's time to get up in your ears. And it's uh, amazing. They're That's amazing. They're really expensive, though. I but I love them. Yeah. That's really good. You know what? It might be a combination method. You might have to do a little bit of both. And once you've ruled out any kind of health issue, uh, re the snoring, then, you know, then it just becomes a... I don't know. I don't, I, I, at this point, I'm not 100% sure that you have to sleep in separate rooms if that's not what you want. You know what I mean? If you want to sleep in the same bed. No, these these folks don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. That's why I'm like, don't ask me. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in the same bed with anyone ever again. Sometimes, though... If I have a if I have an early call time and I know Tim's gonna be up to his fucking sleeping shenanigans, sleepwalking shenanigans, I'm like sleep in the guest bedroom, you know. So every now and then it's nice. I want to miss you, but yeah, that's my ruling. I say um, snorer, get it together, and if it's a health issue or whatever, then really get it together. And if it's you know whatever, you can come up with a compromise. Try the bows. Mm-hmm. And there's also those like mouth guards you can put in and and mm. breathe right strips. I'm sure they've tried everything. Um, I would say it's up to the snorer, but I mean, it's up to the snorer. You know, sorry, sorry about it. <laughs> but yeah, I, okay, that's our ruling. That's our ruling. Up to that's the snorer, but it, it's totally involuntary, right? That sucks. Like it's like, well, you know, you're generating yeah. the sounds. Yeah, but like you know, I don't know. I have my hair. I have a lot of hair shedding that happens. I clean up after myself. That's just you know, that's my bag. All right. Mm-mm. Okay. Next up from Anon Omus. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, beans queens. Greetings from Philly. First time, long time. Kitchen table days, even. You make my mornings at work bearable. Suggestion, Tommy Tuberville needs a silly nickname. May I open suggestions with couch potato? Sorry, no Coach pet. potato. Ah, oh, coach potato. Coach Listen, potato. you know what? English is not my first language. But I'm so glad that um, you guys let me read. Anyway, uh, Coach Potato. <laughs> Sorry. No pet tax to share. As a self-proclaimed eat-the-rich socialist, I promise this disappoints me even more than it disappoints you. <laughs> Love the show. Mm. Well, thank you. I like Coach Potato. We'll work on this. Because yesterday we called him just Tommy Fuckface. That's <laughs> what I called him. Tommy Fuckface is pretty good he's just such a mm, mm, mm. Yeah, no, it's just and a, then i was watching the blind side the other day uh-huh. and he shows up in that movie he it's tommy tuberville does yeah he's the coach alabama oh. um he oh. comes to recruit michael or yeah yeah that whole movie just needs like a free to like i bet he's the one yeah. i bet he's the one who took him to a titty bar and gave him nightmares 100%. i bet that was tommy tuberville yeah Mm-hmm. Took him to a titty bar. No, titties. <laughs> Don't make me. <laughs> Next up from anonymous pronouns, he and him. The pet rich pay their fair share here so that all can enjoy some of the enormous wealth of pet cuteness in this community that has this community has to offer. Pet pictures are a right. I don't have a pet, but I saw a squirrel Aww. today. He was eating a peanut and he made me go, ah, out loud in public. Here's the photos. Oh my <gasps> God. That's a whole ass peanut. That's a nice lawn. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so old. Okay. I really like squirrels. I I, I, I do don't. Too. I think that squirrels are are not a favorite of a lot of people, and I don't understand why. I think they're so cute. I'll never get it. They are. They're adorable. I like when they're chubby too, oh, and yeah. their little bellies are just like boop boop. This guy's had a lot of peanuts. Oh, so cute. Also, where did you get those peanuts, dude? <laughs> like, did you go to a ball game? Oh, are they just hanging around the yard? Might. Okay. Next up, she her. No real good news as the pandemic is really getting to me recently, but I did want to send my pod pet tax as a thank you for bringing me the news. Please enjoy these pictures of Pablo, uh, the two-year-old chupacabra. Thanks again for all you do. Oh my God. Look at this face. So he looks kind of like a bulldog slash pity kind of... I know, with the tongue. And then look at the... Oh wait, look at the underbite. Look at the teeth on the third one. Oh, oh wow! That's a very He's got cute. His tongue hanging out. Kind of looks like sort of like a Frenchie too, yeah. a little bit. Like there's, it's just a perfect, a perfect, cutie. perfect guy or girl. Um, I totally feel you on the on the pandemic stuff. I'm just like at this point, I don't even. I'm like, what? Just can I put? Can I get in a time machine to when mm-hmm, we can all get mm-hmm. these vaccines? Because even people who can get vaccines right now, who are eligible, can't get appointments. At least in LA, I don't know how it's how it is in san diego but it's just a mess same yeah it's a mess yeah so we feel uh, yeah all right i'm gonna read the next two uh this first one here is from she her and it just says hello my golden dwight Schrute, mm-hmm. my asshole cat leroy <laughs> jenkins oh very good that's from memento i think and the pup goose we listen every day and we love you and then here we are okay Aww, leroy Aww. jenkins <gasps> how cute Look at this mini. Is that like a mini Aussie? Oh, my gosh. Oh. That's a beautiful dog. Also, I, I bet you that dog can get naughty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but look how cute. Because you can't, you can't be mad at that dog. Oh, you can't. No, that's why. 
gets away with murder. And I see Claire McCaskill on in the TV in the background, so that's a bonus <laughs> point for you. Bonus. And next up, fan fiction from Karen, uh, fan fiction Karen from Eugene. I just wanted to share with Leguminati a create your own good news, good karma, save your family sanity tip. My 85-year-old mom is stuck in her assisted living room and can't get out and I can't get in because of stupid COVID. She's dependent on her caregivers now, so I made a nurse trap. What is a nurse trap? (laughs) What is a nurse trap, you might ask? It is a bag or bowl of goodies placed near the entrance of a patient's residence room to lure in nurses and aides. I first encountered a nurse trap when I was working as an aide at the hospital. There was a bowl of chocolates placed near the door with a sign that said, take one. When we would step out and when we would step in to get candy, the patient would ask us for what she needed. Works way better than a call light. Uh, I filled this nurse trap with goodies from the dollar store. I don't want my mom to sit in there eating candy all day, so I put in stickers and notebooks and pens and handwritten thank you notes. After filling the bag, I zipped down to the post office, which is still there, thanks to everyone who canvassed for Democrats, mm-hmm. and put the bag into a medium-priority mailbox, and voila, off it went via USPS. I will be calling my mother's facility today to tell them they're welcome to take goodies. I will also be asking my mom on our daily call if she's given away lots of goodies. If I can't get in <laughs> to see my mom to take care of her, I'll use the nurse trap and positive behavioral reinforcement to keep my mom lifted up during this god-awful pandemic. I will report back on how this works. Feel free to create nurse traps as needed. I've attached a picture of my nurse trap. I hope other beans create nurse traps and share their pictures and stories. For the pet tax, I also include another picture of Cooper. Many thanks. Oh, look at this. Hey, this, this is, is a so really sweet. cute idea. And the bag says, hooray, you're here. Very cute. Yeah. And little nice little notes. Aww. And the dog. Okay. That's, that's a, oh an adorable dog. Oh, my God. That's dog. a very cute dog. You know what? That's a really good idea. I love that idea. Okay. Next up, it's Joshua. They, them. The school bus driver from Georgia County. Is that? Did I say that right? Georgia County. Geauga. Geauga. Okay. Well, here I am. English is my second language. (laughs) Made famous by you as Lady Gaga County. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what I said. I said, we are not. Can we pronounce Geauga? I don't know. Let's call it Lady Gaga County. (laughs) It's perfect. It's better than Georgia. I'll tell you that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The school system I work for has been open with in-person classes since the start of the school year. We have had daily updates about both students and staffs that tested positive for COVID during this time. The good news is that all the staff are approved to get the first dose of the vaccine this Friday. Woohoo! And um, it's being distributed here at the high school. So I'm hopeful that our numbers will level off sooner rather than later. Tempering the good news is the fact that a significant percentage of the staff has said they're not interested. Oh my God. Uh, That's what conservative rural America and dangerous right-wing propaganda will do. Attached are pictures of my pod pets, Velcro the cat on her newly finished cat couch that I made for her and has also taken uh, has also taken to hanging out inside the muller she wrote for my bag my wife got me for Christmas and trunk not to be confused with he who shall remain nameless the 15 year old Bijan Shih Tzu mix whose tongue always hangs out that way lounging in the sun this past summer keep up the amazing and informative work oh I love man. that you get that your wife got you a, a Muller she wrote tote bag for Christmas I, I love that too. okay the kitty couch kitty couch the kitty is couch really is adorable good. also like really good fit oh. you know what I mean like look at that look at that tight um uh, t- comfy yeah, yeah. P- fabric 
you know, pulled tight. It looks professional. Very, very well done. Yes. Very good upholstery. And this dog with the tongue. Oh, I used. I grew up. My 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 dog growing up was a Bichon, and it was the sweetest dog. Love my Bichon. Mm, so cute. All right, finally, from Haiting, pronoun she and her. Hello again, Luminous Leguminati. I guess this is a correction. I had to write in again because the picture of the foot-long tabby cat was, in fact, part of my post yesterday. <laughs> I know it was very out of context, stuck in with the good news about our concert, but it was my pet tax. <laughs> However, your interpretation of it made me guffaw twice, so it was all well well worth it. Uh, the photo, This photo is of our cat, Igui, floor monster in my father's mm. Cantonese dialect floor monster who was being measured to see if she would fit into our new apartment oh, i've attached an additional photo of her for my adjusted pet tax good news she fits yes. also i would love a chance to correct the link for our concert something went wrong with the ticketing and people were unable to join after the stream started for a limited time anyone can watch astronautica the words of women astronauts sung by a women's trio oh, cool. through this link it's a uh, triumph atrix dot com slash astronautica triumphatrix t-r-i-u-m-p-h-a-t-r-i-x dot com slash astronautica that's a-s-t-r-o-n-a-u-t-i-c-a sorry for the complicated names i hope you can print this one in the newsletter so no one gets stuck reading it i hope our voices will bring people half the pleasure that yours do you're an extraordinary woman and extraordinary human beings oh god that's very sweet the the link will be in the links f- uh, from listeners section of the newsletter so you know and there's the cat look at him that is a very cute cat also does not want to be bothered thank you very much floor monster oh so <laughs> cute <laughs> thank you so much everybody for sending these in i love your corrections and your um your pet tax and and your good news and your confessions there's a good court case good court case about snoring i'm excited Good thoughts you know like uh, some thinkers in there make us you know uh, triple check our language uh, on things I, i like it you learn something new every day. <laughs> totally. G-jaw. Uh, G-wa. Yeah, Yaga. Lady yeah. Gaga County. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Don't forget to join Dana and I today at 2 p.m. Pacific if, if you are listening to this before that happens. And then, of course, we'll have the happy hour for patrons at 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and that's it. That's all I've got. Do you have anything uh, that you want to go out on for the weekend? Uh, you know, do something nice for yourself. It's tough out there, man. We're all doing the best we can, and, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's little, but it's there. It is there. Let's just keep trucking along. It is there. All right. Thank you, everybody, so much. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>